0: This episode of the Full Nerd, Intel's Tom Peterson talks Arc GPU and XeSS. Welcome to a special edition of the Full Nerd. I'm your host Gordon Maung with co-host Brad Charkas. Hello, Internet, and a very special guest, Intel's fellow Tom Peterson. Hey guys, great to be back! And of course, Adam Patrick Murray, controlling the horizontal vertical.
1: I, yeah, I'm I'm back from vacation. I broke everything right before the show, you know. So sorry about that. You're you're actually seeing me on the a crappy little webcam, but Tom, it, the last time we had. uh uh, we had seen you. It was episode 10 of The Full Nerd. That was a long, long time ago. Oh. You were actually with a di- whole different company. Now, was, you know, some people yeah. are like, wait, uh, he he left NVIDIA? <laughs> Is this true? You're you're at <laughs> Intel yeah, now? Yeah, I've he,
2: been busily beavering over at the Blue Team for a while and working on something that's really exciting that's going to be out here in the not-too-distant future. So we're starting to share a little bit about what we've been working on. Cool.
0: Uh, and I, I, um, I, I have three questions for you, Tom. I know we already know you can't answer them, still got to ask we'll ask up front how fast is it is it is it going to be a, a a radeon and g-force killer
2: well, Gordon, that is an excellent question, and you know uh, right away I'm not going to be discussing the details of performance, but I can say that uh, you know it's a brand new GPU. We've been improving the architecture ever since uh, we started getting into the discrete business, and you know this is sort of our second generation kind of for doing a full discrete card. And generation to generation, every every kind of year and a half or so, we've almost doubled performance, starting from Tiger Lake and then going to DG1, and and now if you think about uh, our next step is going to be another 1.5x in frequency and about 1.5x in perf per watt so in terms of average you know kind of expectations we're kind of moving the bar up and the and the chip is not a tiny little chip it's a you know reasonably sized you you know not an entry level gpu so at the end of the day uh without talking about perf i i'm pretty excited
0: you will have a part that will compete it sounds like so
2: i feel like we're going to be competitive mm-hmm. Our now, hope
0: is to be competitive
2: uh, and of course, the obvious thing
0: in in the world of gPUs right now, just simply breathing is enough to be competitive. Can <laughs> we, can we now that's not to say anything that performance no longer matters, but can we get a hint at what supplies might be like, or is that just way too too over the horizon too?
2: That is way above my pay grade. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, I can't really talk about supply. It's a little bit sensitive, and it, it has a lot to do with not just what I'm talking about, but Intel in general and the industry at, at large. So I really, unfortunately, can't talk about supply. Although, you know, Intel's a big company. We're working with big partners. So we hope to have adequate uh, at launch. But it's, it's, it's it's again, something I can't talk about.
0: Sure. And But in general, if you have uh, only two vendors and a third vendor enters selling products, that generally means there will be more. So I, I think that's the takeaway people should. At least yeah.
2: Generally understand. more is, is good for everybody right now. It's good for all gamers to have more people competing for the discrete GPU business. I think everybody's struggling right now with where things are kind of crazy in supply and demands off the charts. So uh, I feel like this is actually a really great time for us to come in and, and uh, expand uh, the the selection for everybody. Okay. Uh, and the, So
0: I want to make sure I understand the official branding as well. I sort of thought XEHPG was gone, but I still see it mentioned in a lot of places. Is it? It is.
2: It is a little confusing, uh, Gordon. So the, the way to think about it is, Arc is our big consumer brand, and Arc is really talking about you know most things. Most games have a storyline, and the and our our GPU our journey is going to be a story as well. So Arc is kind of capturing that uh, that uh, that sense of of adventure and journey. And I'm pretty excited about the name. And you'll see details as we get closer to launch about what comes underneath Arc, because I don't think we want to call everything Arc. There's usually Arc something, and you know how that all is going to roll out is something that we'll talk about in the future. Um, and then you've got to start talking about architectures and code names and things, and that's where things start getting even more complicated. The way to think about our micro architectures now is we're going with new names like Alchemist and Battlemage, and these names are those big design efforts that you do every once in a while, like you know roughly Kepler or Fermi or Pascal or something like that. They're the architectural code names, and then over time you might see another code name that represents Represents a chip or a specific feature. And, and something like XESS, which we, we disclose, could be called, you know, name totally different, just like, say, DLSS or, or FSR. So uh, the naming is pretty simple. Consumers are going to need to know about ARC and ARC derivatives. Our code names are going to be based on these kind of epic characters from gaming, Battle Mage, Alchemist, and others. And then you'll hear about different techniques or different cores or different microarchitectural things in more uh, kind of XE branded names, t- typically but i'm not saying we're locked into the xe sure. names it's more just a way to get organized on names in your head
0: got it got it but i mean our for me it's just easier it's definitely easier to remember than the many forms of xe
2: yeah. Was, and was Intel's been post. criticized in the past for crazy code names. We're trying to make things simple and and memorable because there's no point in having a code name if you can't remember it. So I I, I would like it to think of uh, Arc as a nice overall brand name and then uh, simple, simple derivative names and simple architecture names.
0: OK, um, I, I don't want to I don't want to keep guarding tom here but you got uh, any questions brad because i was gonna i was just gonna keep going go ahead
3: you go ahead you said you can't answer so i want to hear the answers to
0: them <laughs> well uh, and of course we'll ask it he can't answer folks but i know if i don't ask it people <laughs> will get hot over it how much will arc alchemy cost
2: well again um Alchemist. you know the, what's really interesting about it is uh, i can't talk about pricing but at the end of the day we're going to want to be competitive and and uh, almost effectively, just like today in the GPU market, the market really sets the price. We, we can kind of pretend what we want the price to be. But if it's too high, nobody's going to buy it. And if it's too low, it's going to get snapped up like that. So at the end of the day, our competitive position will largely determine the price. Okay. And the last question,
0: of course, we do sort of have an answer to, which is, when can you buy it? But, you know, it's a pretty big well, window.
2: It's a big window. I think we've agreed to say Q122. So Q one twenty two is coming up. There's a lot of stuff that's got to happen. The engineering teams are cranking and cranking and cranking. Everybody's like buffing this thing, to make it just as beautiful as possible. But yeah, it's 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 coming. Hmm.
0: So uh, so I I want to ask for me what I I sort of love because you know competition. The reason why any journalist loves to follow anything is to watch the the drama of it all. So, <laughs> the drama of this, everything basically to most reporters is basically a soap opera. So now we have, you have, you have green, you have red. They have been, they have been locked in this pitch battle for a decade or more. Yeah. And they're the only survivors of a dozen, 24 graphics companies. Epic. 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 So now we have team blue coming in we have Intel coming in. And I just, I just sort of love this whole drama of, because, you know, AMD has very successfully played the the guerrilla war warfare. They have played the underdog against NVIDIA, which has overwhelming market share in des- desktop and even more in in mobile. And now you have Intel, this sort of third party. Where do you fit in here? Because you sort of have underdog, you have the clear winner. Where does Intel
2: slot in? It is such it's an drama. interesting time, Gordon. It's I I, I got to tell you, I'm excited about it because. The market will sort it out, and all I can say is that Intel is entering from a place of humility, where you know we know we have a lot to learn, we have a lot to uh, uh, kind of grow our team and grow our expertise over time. But at the same time, we're no baby, right? This is not our first chip. We, you know, we're a massive company, so we have the resources to enter in a big way. And I think what's cool about that is I'm not sure of anybody else that could do what we're doing. We're growing a a large business. From basically zero to hero in not a lot of time, and um, how that's going to disrupt the market is unclear. But it's it's very much going to be good for competition. Having having uh, Intel come in, and, and we're a science-oriented company. You're not going to hear us throwing around a lot of marketing stuff. We're basically going to say, here's what our thing is, here's what it does. It's great for games. Let me talk about our technologies, and if we can deliver parts at competitive prices with competitive performance with great features, then we'll make a we'll make an impact on the on the market overall but either way it's good for gamers having having more competition in this segment, which is so starved for capacity right now, is definitely going to be a, a, a good thing for the industry at whole. Now, the other thing we can do is you know, we're a standards-based company. Intel invented most of the standards, and we're going to do the same thing with, say, uh, the is uh, the, the game developers and game engine developers where we can provide technologies that standardize across multiple hardware vendors. So you're not going to see us come out and say, hey, XESS, that's our private thing, and, and please go integrate it just for us. Instead, we're going to I <laughs> A lot of people are building similar technologies. Can we have a standardized way to do an integration for a game engine? And then underneath it, let us differentiate. Let us build our own engines to plug in. But let's try to make life a little bit easier for the uh, game developers and the game engine developers. So Intel has a lot of advantages coming to this because we have all the relationships with the software uh, ecosystem and we have a great team that knows how to engage those guys. So to me, that's really what it's all about. We can bring our strengths both from hardware development, process chips, architecture, and couple that with a strong software focus, uh, and hopefully, you know, make it make it a, a little bit more uh, competitive for everybody, and and that's the, to the benefit of gamers and so, Intel, hopefully. Yeah,
0: and and so, like, I mean, clearly, you have one side that very much likes to push, you know, leading edge proprietary systems because that's to its advantage, and you have the other side again, sort of pushing that Gorilla open source approach to it. How does Intel fit in for both of those as far as? Well, that?
2: I would say we're we're kind of a, um, a middle. The truth is that there's good reasons to try both of those strategies. Uh, uh, this stuff is actually very hard, like developing graphics algorithms and, and developing software uh, SDKs is not a trivial thing. So I don't think you'll see us ever just sort of do a reference design and stick it on a website and say we're good. So we're not going to be like open in the sense that we are or not Investing in developing that technology. On the other hand, being completely closed and proprietary and not uh, standardizing APIs isn't good for the industry in general. So what we're going to do is the middle ground, where we're going to invest the software and hardware development expertise. Like we have some of the best machine learning AI and en- engineers in the world, they're working on our implementation of XESS but the APIs that, that we're using to integrate with game developers are gonna be public. The SDKs are already out, and we're, we're trying to say, hey, let's, let's be smart about this. Let's cooperate at the software level, and then we're willing to invest the time and the money to make our implementation kick ass. And I think over time, that's the strategy that's gonna win, and that's one of the great parts about being the third person. We can come in and say, is there a way to cooperate together, and, and hopefully uh, everybody will.
3: I have a follow-up question to that. Sure, that's actually pretty interesting. I look at from what I've seen of XeSS so far is pretty much splitting the difference between FSR and DLSS as far as the you know ethics behind it. Like you were just saying, uh, one thing that's interesting to me is that the Alchemist GPUs have so much XMX dedicated hardware, which are you know machine learning focused, kind of like tensor cores, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of questions I have around that being one. You guys have put a lot more of that kind of hardware into your GPU than even NVIDIA has. And I was wondering if there was a reason for that. And two, in the spirit of interoperability, I've never said that word out loud, I just realized. Good job. uh, (laughs) uh, When XESS does go open source, will NVIDIA GPUs be able to tap into... The temporal stuff because they have tensor cores that are somewhat similar to XMX.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So first, of all, let's start off with the with the chip design. Now, I'm not really uh, uh, deep enough into what. NVIDIA's current offering is in terms of their Tensor Core ratio to their to sort of their SMs, um, but our our ratio is picked because we think we understand the workload. And uh, don't be confused, Alchemist is a gaming first device. It's not it's not designed to be a compute first thing. It's definitely a gaming first thing. So the MXM units that are there are strategic investment. And the way you can think about it is there are some big winds that are blowing in the industry. And, the, and that the, that that lady or that guy coming down the street, his name is AI and machine learning. And right now that technology is being applied to post-rendered pixels with DLSS and our version of something similar called XESS. But that's just the beginning. There's There's untoward algorithmic improvements that are going to come both to game engines and probably to games themselves to more deeply integrate AI style processing into all kinds of effects so when when you look at our chips and you see hey there are there's some heavyweight uh, a systolic oriented architecture in there um, what's that mean it means that we believe that uh, every processor is going to become more AI infused and AI is going to be uh, affecting more and more algorithms over time so I'm pretty excited about that now you're What was your second question, Brad? I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh,
3: So since it's going to be in open technology at some point, uh, is there the possibility for NVIDIA's Tensor Cores to tap into those temporal effects and whatnot? Because uh, I know the fallback is DP4A.
2: Yeah, uh, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. So the way, the way I think about it is we, we want to define APIs that the ISVs can, the, the software guys can adopt and do one integration. And then what we're hoping is that underneath that, every, every uh, hardware vendor would provide sort of like a kernel that is optimized for their hardware. So as an example, you know, we have a team of guys that are in there with their, like, protractors and their tiny little loops, and every day they they optimize a fine kernel for the MXM or, uh, units, the XMN units, that are going to be the optimal fused kernel for this inference. It's, like, perfectly tuned. Now, we're not going to do that for AMD, and we're not going to do that for NVIDIA. Of course not. But we want them to be able to provide similar work that would plug in into a standardized interface, right? That's the idea. Now DP4A expands that dramatically because almost everybody has a DP4A style instruction and uh we're making the the code that does that style uh processing available publicly so we're hoping that we'll just see that uh sort of adopted more globally but again everybody's got to make the choice uh do they do the work to make that investment and uh, we're hoping they will so how do you think
3: performance with the DP4A fallback will stack up against uh you know, the full-blown implementation
2: well I don't I don't have the data on DP4a performance yet but we do know that like if you were to do a sh- just a pure uh, sh- vector implementation that it's dramatically slower in, in many cases and uh, but the DP4a accelerates that a lot but there's a trade-off of quality and performance and it's going to vary based on the details of the algorithm so I would say DP4a will probably be a uh, maybe a lower resolution version of it um, mm-hmm. but it, or it could be a lower quality uh, sort of res- uh, up up upsampled image, but it's not clear yet exactly what the results are going to be
1: uh i actually have a follow-up some uh you said earlier this you said this was made for gamers uh, one of the great things that i've always found with uh <laughs> getting a new gpu is that i can work on it and i can game on it or, or are you saying it's not going to be great for video editing applications or photo editing things like that so
2: definitely not definitely not saying that it, it does have all the features that you'd want for creator you know intel for decades has had the, some of the best media functions in the world you know we have dedicated media accelerators we have encoders we have decoders. So there's lots- Lots of good engines to accelerate media production, mm. and that's going to continue to be carried forward. We also have a deep, IS, uh, a deep software engagement with all of the creator companies, and and what's really interesting there is that now this whole how do you become a great creator uh, device? It's all about how how deeply can I engage with the software ecosystem to adopt your mm. AI accelerators? Because at the end of the day, that's really where creators are moving as well. Mm-hmm.
3: That's a good. That's a good point. Uh, do you guys have any game partners you're working with at XESS so far?
2: Uh, we do. We have uh, several folks that are already integrating. I've, I'm not sure if we've announced them. I would defer to Nick, because uh, I can't. I, I can't take the risk and say names if I'm not <laughs> All right. clear. Did you? Do, do you know, Gordon? Did we already announce a couple? I think we.
0: Probably I know did. there was an Unreal Engine Five demo during the uh, Architecture Day. So there was. Clearly there's There was. Uh,
2: yeah, there's an unreal engagement. I, I think Lisa mentioned two titles that we're working with as well, but I unfortunately yeah. don't have them over the top of my head. Go go check out Lisa's videos because I think she uh, she talked about it.
0: And and I guess you know that's the time to ask, uh, although maybe that's what you ask at the end, but. People want to know, can it run Crisis? And I, I have pointed <laughs> out that in the actual demo reel that Intel showed off at Architecture Day, it did actually run Crisis. It was a remastered version. So it, uh-huh. it does run Crisis,
2: folks. It, it definitely does. runs Crisis. <laughs> I remember running, like, the first version of Crisis and being like, this is amazing to see it. Do you remember, like, the very first time you saw Crisis, the first version? Oh, yeah. It literally was breathtaking. I mean, I, I had no idea. And it absolutely crushed, I think, the part at the time. What was it? Was it like a 8800 GT or was it just the one 9800 GT, maybe something it maybe someone was like
0: a it was a 8800 GTX and you could run a a a, a tri SLI 8800 GTX and crisis would crush it and <laughs> yes, of course back yes. then you know i i do remember specifically cuz the enthusiast gaming enthusiast PC community immediately went from like you know hey bring it on to like oh my god we've been crushed
2: <laughs> yes
0: although i i will say that's it's sort of a the change in the it's because gaming has become so mainstream Back then, crisis was viewed as this, you know, this, you have to be able to run crisis. I got to climb that mountain. And it is so mainstream now um, that now if you did have something that got crushed, a game that would crush cards, people immediately start to complain rather than say like, wow, this is
2: just incredible. And I have to buy the next thing. It it does speak to a different audience
0: now. I think
2: think when you see now there's going to be multiple hardware vendors that are basically providing these advanced features, DX12 Ultimate, all of the VRS, the mesh shading, hardware-accelerated ray tracing, integrated AI engines. So there's now multiple hardware vendors that are all providing this beautiful landscape for software developers to really lean in. And there shouldn't be any... uh, There should be... uh, Great willingness to kind of lean forward in terms of effects, and you can see this whole um, Unreal Engine Five demo is just sort of leading into what's coming for PCs. And as a gamer, I know you're a gamer. I'm a gamer. Everybody's a gamer. But I've been a gamer for a long time, and I am super excited about it right now. So it's it's good times.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've I've a couple uh, more driver related questions uh, uh Peter Jansen was asking about uh support for for legacy games like DX9 DX11 things like that uh and then who was it uh Roland the Dice was asking about uh w- will you have full linux support at launch
2: well yeah on, on all that you know there's a huge install base of both dX9, Dx11 dX12 none of that's going away and we continue to work on our driver every day to make games run great. you can see we have a huge uh, effort in terms of day zero drivers just getting early builds in and making them work and it doesn't matter what uh, what API they're using whether it's dX9 or DX11 or dX12 we're going to make all of those work great. We also of course support Linux we have an open driver strategy you can go out there and you know we do early integrations with most of the major releases. So you can see our strategy is to yeah, we we love Linux. Linux is, is very important to us. Vulcan is very important to us and we're never letting go of DX. So think of it <laughs> as uh, yeah, you got to do it all. You want to be a you want to be in the GPU business in the discrete space, you have to sign up to a large buffet of software support.
3: And you guys are or your the software team is working on bringing a lot of stuff that you see in like uh, Radeon settings and GeForce experience over to the Intel command center, right? Like overclocking and various other things like that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And over time you're going to see that's an area that we can, I think, add some value. Um, I would love to figure out, and, and this is like me just talking about what I'd love to do, but we're an Intel CPU company, right? We have a, mm-hmm. a large expertise in the best ways to manipulate CPUs, the best ways to tweak CPUs. Now we're also a giant GPU company. So the fusing of those two things over time I think is going to be uh, a real opportunity for us and expressing those interconnections in the control panel just seems natural but uh, stepping out of the at the get-go you'll see things like overclocking support and you'll see some of the more common useful features of the control panel uh, all visualized inside of our, uh, our our application for gamers. Uh, and over time, you know, we're trying to just put the things in there that matter most to gamers and everything else is, uh, I'd love to see Windows UIs adopt the, the normal things like resolution and color and all that stuff, but it's a constant dance. We have to make sure that our, our users can get access to all the settings they need, and sometimes that makes a, the UIs a little bit more busy than they need to be. But over time, we're, we're definitely separating. We want the kind of like the basic controls to be in Windows and the more experience things that are unique to intel to be in the in the app uh
1: speaking of the app real quick decoy asked earlier uh, a very important question uh will will that app require a login to use no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> not now
2: not now. but I'm not against a login just to be clear because there's a whole world of ecosystem things that we can deliver with a login and uh, while we have no plans to do that now uh, if we can think of features or service or, or, or anything that could be delivered with an account we'll definitely add that I don't think there'll ever be a time where you get basically no functions unless you have an account think of it more like the account would let you into things that mm-hmm. need an account and, mm-hmm. and that's probably the way you'll see it go
0: I know it's over the horizon as well, but do you think you're going to go to an in board model? I mean, you'll probably have – we imagine there will be Intel reference designs at first, just a seed. But then you – will it sort of mirror what the other graphics vendors do?
2: You, you know, I don't want to talk about our, our go-to-market strategy for discrete because okay. there's there's lots of time to talk about that as we get forward to it. Um, but I do think that it's an area uh, that is not obvious what we should do, right? It, you could do the AIC model where basically we build reference designs and send them off to, to our partners in Taiwan that build them and then differentiate. Um, we could go direct because, you know, obviously we have a direct uh, sales model. We could even do something different like a hybrid. But uh, right now, I think that's just one of the exciting parts about being Intel. So we've got some great business guys. They're working through what's the what's the best way that we can help both our customers and our gamer customers uh, see the value that we're doing on, on GPUs. And we, we don't have to live within the current channel distribution model.
1: Uh, we actually had a super chat from VC jester. Thank you so much. Uh, $2 said, uh, will in, will Intel be making these GPU chips in house. Can you talk about that at all?
2: Well, we're certainly designing in-house, but even today, when you say design in-house, this is a massive disaggregated effort, and there's we have IP suppliers that we work with, and we have downstream partners that build chips. We're designing and verifying and doing all the software for our discrete cards in-house, um, but we're manufacturing these cards or these chips at TSMC, our partner for Alchemist. So if you think about it, you know, it, it, this whole in-house, out-house thing, in-house or outsourced, it's all very, very complicated. It's very, very fluid. And it's never black and white, especially not anymore. Uh, but we'll make these decisions. And one thing that's great about our IDM 2.0 strategy is we can make these decisions per device. So you won't see us always be uh, in, in Intel fabs or always be in TSMC fabs. We're going to be very flexible and do the right thing in terms of manufacturing for the devices that we're making.
3: nice okay well i would like to go back to XeSS for a minute yes uh so dlss and fidelity effect super resolution they're already known quantities they're out Mm -hmm. at this point i was wondering if you could just explain the differences for people who might not know between XeSS and those you know already out there
2: sure um well let's start with uh there's a lot of confusion here because there's there's like try people are muddying the waters the way i think about um the way these techniques generally work is there's pretty much two fundamental approaches. One is I take pixels from the current frame and then I'm going to, Explode them and i'm going to use a variety of techniques. Some can be looking at one frame some can maybe look at another frame But the idea is that we're going to take limited information because it's not rendered It's just the limited information. We're going to scale it up And there's a bunch of techniques that look pretty good and they operate pretty fast. That's what i'm going to call uh superscaling or up res right now super sampling excuse me super sampling is a pretty different technique And the idea is like let's use multiple pictures from the past and let's use uh, billions of cycles of training a network to to kind of extract essences of what the gaming pictures look like, and and we're going to encode that into a network that then we can take the the older images, like maybe three or four or five or ten, who knows how many images back in the past, and we're going to use those to predict what should the perfect image look like in the present. We're using a low-resolution image right now, but we're also using all of that other information to synthesize this fantastic new image. And you can see in the demo that Lisa showed, it looks great. I mean, the text looks better than you would ever expect. Some people are even saying this is fake because that text, look at it, it doesn't even, the text in the 4K doesn't even look as good. Well, the truth is we're looking across multiple frames, and you're seeing different samples of offsets of that text. And then we're synthesizing all of those offsets together to generate that one final uh, image. So what we're talking about with XESS is all about this AI-infused multiple-frame motion vectors, uh, calculating you know the right pixels to put on the screen. So it's a very different algorithm, and that's why you need a little bit more hardware uh, to make it work well. That's what the XMX uh, blocks are on on Alchemist. So that's my that's my way to think about it. Now DLSS, I don't have the details of what DLSS implementation is, but I can tell you ours is all based on uh, deep learning technologies using the the matrix multiplication. I'm sorry, matrix blocks inside of Alchemist, and it looks great.
3: Is it generalized like DLSS 2.0 is, So it'll just work with any game, if you know it's supported. Yeah, support it's, it's
2: it. not game specific. So, so the training and the network styles that we've done, uh, train once, run on many games. It's the only way this would ever work. You know, the idea of having uh, multiple different network weights for each with one game support that that model just breaks down pretty quickly, as you could see from the early versions of DLSS. Um, this version, our XESS, is uh, game independent. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't require game integration. It certainly does yeah. require game integration, but it's not a a network that
3: is per game. So some of the other techniques that are out there, uh, they do very, very well at 4K and 1440p, but once you step down to 1080p, uh, image quality can sometimes suffer because they're jarring off so many fewer pixels. Uh, Seeing as how you guys purposefully designed this to also work on the XE integrated graphics, Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you have any thoughts about how XeSS will perform on that lower resolution.
2: Well, the demo we showed was 1080p to 4K. So if you yeah. if you look at that demo, it looks fantastic, right? I you mean, know.
3: on 1080p screens.
2: Like oh, if I have, I have
3: a 1080p laptop, how will, will XeSS how how will that look? Because oh, like see. FSR kind of stumbles, you know. DLSS sometimes has issues. You know, so I haven't
2: looked at it myself directly. Like you're talking about a 640p render up to 1080p yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I think it can look reasonably good, but honestly, I haven't seen it myself. And it's, it's unclear whether or not that would be a mode we offer. It kind of will all need to be figured out as we start seeing more results. And if it, you know, honestly, if it looks great, tastes great, smells great, make it, make it available, right? Mm-hmm. But right now, it's, it's not now. Okay.
1: okay. Uh, we we got a number of questions in, in various different forms uh, of the chat uh, asking about uh, mining you know, are there going to be hash rate limiters? Uh, what What are you going to do to combat mining and scalping and all that that sort of fun stuff?
2: So, mining and scalping and all that stuff, all that jazz.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> well, let's start with mining. Um, I am, I am, I'm a gamer, and I'm not against mining. It's just that it it seems tragic that mining and gaming are going after the same GPUs because I think what's happening is the gamers are losing out in that in that race. Uh, um, and I'm not familiar. I, I don't believe we have a, a, a mining uh, avoidance plan right now. It's still a little bit too early in our evolution. Um, uh, but on the other hand, you know, scalpers, uh, another one of those examples where it's an unfortunate phenomenon right now with bots grabbing cards and, and, and again, escalating prices – and that's more about a, a channel question. How does the channel work, and how can the channel provide some kind of access to cards that skip scalpers? And again, that's not really much that we can do about that, but um, it's certainly on our mind. And if there are ways, whether we go direct with some amount of cards or something like that to try to help some of this, it's a very tough problem. And I, I don't think there's um, any magic bullet right now that I'm aware of. Um, the hash rate limiting stuff, I think we're going to have to you know, be a little bit quiet on that. It's not that we're not going to do that, it's just that I don't think we have a fairly – we don't have an articulated plan about that right
1: now. Okay. Uh, moving over to some more um, questions that I, I'm interested in about uh, about creative applications. Uh, we've got a $10 Super Chat. Thank you so much from Nori SS uh, asking, um, how, how about the uh, encoder performance? Uh, will it rival or beat uh, NVIDIA's N- NVENC encoding quality versus performance? Uh, obviously, they kind of own the market when it when it comes to that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, that's an excellent question, and, and uh, unfortunately, we're not going to give out a lot of new details about our encoding performance right now. All of that, uh, all of that information is going to come when we when we actually launch our product. Um, there's a long history of encoder behavior with Intel. You can go look back at like all of the technology, Quick Sync, and all that. Um, we know what we're doing with media, but we're not talking about it right now.
0: Okay. okay. I, I'm going to ask a follow up on that, and sure. a lot of that. It feels very much like DevRel, kind of like the strength is because NVIDIA jumped in there with Adobe years and years before anybody really saw any opportunity. And how hard is it to get in there to uh, you know, con-
2: uh, content creation developers and get them to adopt stuff? I don't think it's, uh, so for Intel, it's not like we have to get in there. We've had a long relationship with Adobe. We have people that work with Adobe every day. And, uh, you know, we understand what, you know, what their needs are and how we can help them. So at the end of the day, we, we really want to help them help their customers. And we're all aligned in that goal. So I, I feel like we are unique in the sense that our CPU uh, engagements with all these different creator ISVs help us with the GPU acceleration that we want to now do. But you're right it is it is all about developer relations and and content tech and I feel like we're in good we're in good spots with that stuff.
0: You know so the other this is again I I don't know what you can really say about this but I think a lot of people kind of fear that you may be bundling because it's just easy to say you buy a chipset you buy a CPU from us buy the GPU too and I think people really don't have an issue with that except the fear is for the the gamer, the DIY gamer that's going to go out and buy one single card that feels like it just may take so much inventory out of their hands right now because it feels like job one is just getting hardware into gamer's hands so
2: yeah, of unfortunately system. I think that's a, a, a good question. I, I really feel like that's the first question that I really don't even want to pretend about because of a long history of that question at yeah, Intel. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. rather than uh, get fired in my first couple of years, yeah, there, yeah, I think yeah. I'll just go, good for you, Gordon. Good question. <laughs> good. Yeah.
0: We'll I'll answer that uh, uh, later.
2: At, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. You know. get, get back to my PR guys and uh, we'll call you.
3: <laughs> I, I, <laughs> just, I, have a, I have a totally different question then. I have a totally different question. Since you're on the line, I was always wondering... Now I have a chance to ask. So is there a way that you guys quantitatively measure the visual performance of upscaling techniques like FSR and DLSS? Yeah. Like, is it all subjective? Is it quantitative? Yeah. Yeah
2: yeah it 's super super exciting, and this is an area that I probably want to work at, work with you guys a little bit more is is now we 're we 're in this mode of transition where we 're going from pixel accurate rendering is the only thing we care about how quick can you do pixel accurate rendering now we 're into a whole new world which is how quick can you generate some image and mm. that image may be good or it may be bad, but you did it really quick. we want to help the industry learn how to quantify how good those images are so we've developed some internal tools that right now do like Per, You know, you give it a movie, it kind of looks, uh, looks at the images in the movie, it compares it to some base known reference images and generates a heat map of error based on perception. So there's some simple mathematics that you can do that will calculate, you know, different noise ratios. And there's another one that's like a perception uh, uh, AI network looking at each individual region of the pixels. So I'd love to figure out how to make that a thing. Like, how do we make that perception measurement standardized, maybe get some friends at NVIDIA to talk through it with us? Uh, But we'd love for moving the ball forward, uh, making quality less arbitrary, making quality more science-based. And there is some good science behind it. We use it internally
3: okay great because that does kind of seem like that's where the industry is heading these days so
2: yeah it's really hard
3: to compare apples versus oranges versus it's
2: impossible (laughs) it's impossible if if your every review has to be based on a like look at this movie it's it's too hard and and there are too many cheaters out there to to make that be the way it goes i I would rather say let's get some science deployed here Uh, let's make some easy to use tools and then and then let reviewers you know figure it out that's that's way i'd like to make it work Okay. It's a complex topic, though, Brad. I mean, there's yeah, there's no very. easy way to describe the quality of two images to a to a user that they're going to understand.
0: And it is very subjective too. I mean. Mm-hmm. You, somebody may accept blur somewhere, and some other reviewer may may hate it. So
2: yeah, well that's that's the um, that's the science here. Is that may, it, it? Feels very subjective right now. But if we if we built a um, a process that uses lots of uh, samples of people's perception of how pixels look, maybe we can generalize that into some kind of AI based evaluation tool, and then that would be you know we would all agree that this is probably better than than just subjective. But but uh, you know, that's work to be done. But we'll probably be in touch as we as we get a little bit closer and maybe that tool would be something you guys want to give us some feedback on.
3: Okay. Awesome.
2: So you've
3: worked on stuff like NVIDIA multi-red shading in the past, I assume. uh yeah. rendering and all that stuff. You know, AMD does something similar with Radeon Boost. Uh going forward, now that it seems like all the three big or two big GPU companies you guys are about to turn into is the third are so focused on image upsampling, do you think there's still room for
2: technologies like Multi shading, Radeon Boost, stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole question of uh, how, our goal as a as a GPU company is to make uh, take a theoretical model of a scene and generate a bunch of pixels that users like. So one way to do it is to generate you know, pixel accurate images, but that's very expensive. Um, so what we're looking for are these techniques that can reduce the render load and then do more processing on the pixels to make them look better. And that's a net win for our customers. And so the question is, what are what's the set of tools that we can deploy that will, will implement that thing? Super res is just one, or su- super sampling, generating images from multiple pixels, multiple samples is one way to go. But I think there's a lot of other techniques and multi-res shading or or VRS style stuff is a great example, but there's many, many others that maybe would even go deeper back in the pipeline of graphics. Maybe, maybe you don't need to do tessellation anymore. Now maybe you can do some kind of AI decimation where you're actually reducing the geometric complexity of things dynamically, trying to optimize performance without impacting visual quality. So to me, there's like this whole world of AI applied to graphics and the subsampling stuff is just one example.
3: Excellent. Now it's starting to make sense why you guys have so many XMX cores.
2: Someday, maybe they'll do something really
3: cool, right?
0: (laughs) I do have a question about, you know, there's suddenly this fixation on on the upsampling. Is this a recognition by all the graphics vendors that we are not going to continue to scale up to 8K and beyond very easily? And we need
2: upsampling is probably the only way to get there i don't know gordon you, you and i have been doing this for a long time and it seems like every couple of years there's one of these oh jesus how are we ever going to render at 1080p that's never going to happen never going to happen um, but uh, every time you know people find ways and this is just along that journey you know where Moore's law is not dead technology is not stopping uh, and graphics innovation is really just getting going and i i feel like uh I'm excited to see all the upsampling and super sampling techniques, but um, honestly, there are other techniques that I'm even more excited about. So all of that stuff is great, and and if we can deliver better experiences because of it, then we're all winners, right? Hmm. I, I would love to figure out, you know, how can you do like fully hallucinated images that are based, that are correct. You know, when, when I say hallucinated, I mean, AI, you've seen like these uh, fake, big fakes and all that kind of stuff, deep fakes. Those are hallucinated pixels that were never presented to the network. The network just got trained on Obama and then it took a picture and it kind of created a picture that's like Obama. Well, if we did a good enough job, you could actually someday imagine, well, all of this traditional rendering that's happening with, you know, triangles and, and textures and and shaders maybe all of that someday could be sort of reduced and and you're taking those raw inputs into a network like in in nirvana you'd love these networks to just do it like why is there not an ai to do rendering Um, it's because it's super complicated and it'd be a giant network and there's optimizations but that's the way we're that's the way we're really heading i think AI man, it's big. <laughs> Trust me, it's
1: gonna uh, be big. I have a couple of platform <laughs> questions. Uh ooh boy. Uh man, somebody asked it earlier. Um oh, a uh, uh, was asking about um <clears throat> if if somebody has an Intel CPU and an Intel GPU, what kind of benefits can they get from having uh, both? So mm. will, there, will there be a way that it'll play better better together?
2: Well, we hope so, and uh, it's an excellent question because it's it's one area that I am super excited about. We, we invented a technology last year. We called it DeepLink, and and what DeepLink does is it's it's different. It's like an umbrella. It's a collection of technologies where the integrated graphics works better with a discrete graphics that's Intel. Well, DeepLink also talks about, well, it's an Intel CPU working better with an Intel uh, graphics chip of some kind. Right now, most of those technologies are either related to media offloading or it's related to power. Power management. Um, so if you think about it, balancing better between the CPU and the GPU, that's an obvious thing that Intel can do better together because we own both pieces of that silicon, both stacks. Um, but there's a lot of other opportunities. I mean the, the Nirvana would be, hey, can I use my integrated discrete gra- my integrated graphics inside of the CPU to do something useful? in render while I have a discrete graphics chip from Intel, that would be Nirvana. Mm. And uh, so imagine that we're trying to figure that out. It's super, super difficult. But the good news is there's already something called hybrid. And what hybrid is, is you render on a discrete GPU, and you copy that image over to the integrated GPU, and that's what displays. So that data movement is already happening, and it happens not just for Intel graphics uh, discrete plus Intel iGPU. It happens for NVIDIA graphics discrete and and Intel integrated graphics. So that data is right there. We just have to make sure we use these little brains and figure out what would be useful to do in that spot. And it's 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 you know things like super sampling come to mind right where, where you where you say huh uh, I've got a nice graphics chip a nice GPU sitting right here I've got an image I'm getting ready to display it what what should I do to it you know there's lots of good stuff there
0: yeah why not use the silicon you've paid for on the on the chip right why not put it to work? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and honest, Gordon, if you have anything, any good ideas in that space, I'm all ears, because that, if we solve that problem, you and me right now, straight now, we are going to be somebody. Well, we'll do it offline,
0: and then we'll patent it, and then we'll sell it to
2: somebody. Yeah, that would work out for me, I can tell you right now. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: kind of a funny question to, to piggyback off that one. A flash photo asked earlier, um, uh, will, will dual GPUs uh, be a thing with Arc? Can, can you bring that back? Mm.
2: Hmm. So, uh, I think what the, 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 uh, what was the, what was the name of the questionnaire again?
1: Uh, flash photo, flash photo.
2: Nice name. Well, I think what flash, can I call you flash? <laughs> I think what flash is uh, talking about there is SLI yes. or, 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 or crossfire. And those technologies, uh, I think were super awesome right around DX nine timeframe and a little bit of DX 11 timeframe, but they kind of fell on their face during DX 12 timeframe because what's happened is frames, uh, game engines and games are doing post effects that rely on looking backwards through multiple rendered frames. So if you're doing a blur, you got to kind of know what was the prior frame plus the current frame. And that serializes the render process. So you can't do one graphics render and another graphics render of a different frame on a different GPU and then just display them because they're both interconnected. So that's what basically made SLI and Crossfire ineffective. Mm. So what we need now is a different method of distributing work. Work across multiple GPUs and then bringing it back together in a way that has an additive benefit. And that problem, trust me, is very, very difficult. Um, so until we solve that big nut, I don't think there's going to be a multi-discrete GPU thing that matters at all. But that's not to say that if we solve that nut, you know, <laughs> that would definitely be a thing. Um, but that's different from uh, what I'll think of as multi-chip uh, devices. So if you look at a lot of Devices today, they're being manufactured with multi-chips. And I think that technology is definitely going to come to graphics, where you have a very high bandwidth interconnect, much like what we're doing with um, our our current Alchemist, where there's a very high bandwidth L2 cache with high connections between these cores. If you could do that on a multi-chip package, well, then it's not really multiple chips anymore. It really looks like one big chip. And so I think that will happen. And that does require software work, but it's not going to be crazy. Hmm. Someday, someday, I think we're going to be coming full circle, circle, and seeing multi-board, uh, single-frame processing. But we're just we're just not there yet. And I mean, the, the problem
0: there is that there's just not even. I would imagine PCIe five would not be enough for
2: that. Not at all. Not even close. So now, if, if you think about CPU arch- or GPU or, or even system architectures, there's this thing called. SMP, symmetric multiprocessing, where every device sees all the memory uniformly from every other device. But there's also another thing in compute called CCNUMA. And what CCNUMA is talking about is every, every cache is an island and some latencies are very short and some latencies are long and there's protocols to make it look like it all is symmetric but it's really not now that's really more likely the scenario that we're going to end up in on graphics where there's like different latencies depending on where the data is and so you would need like a, a new software paradigm for managing memory in that case and it's possible it's just a giant chunk of work and and someday i hope to look back on you know 2023 or 2022 and say that was the year that blah 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 invented that blah Bluffing and now you know we can do great scaling of, of <laughs> GPUs again. So someday,
1: <laughs> uh, I got a couple more questions uh, before we get out of here. Uh, RepsUp100 was asking, and other people were wondering, uh, will Intel Arc work with adaptive sync monitors?
2: Absolutely, adaptive sync uh, near and dear to my heart, and I, I would say that uh, we're going to do a great job on adaptive sync. I will also tell you that um, all implementations of adaptive sync are not the same. And so even though there's like um, an adaptive sync monitor, there needs to be significant work done on the driver side and also in the ecosystem side to make sure that's a great experience. So having Intel come into the space and supporting adaptive sync, I think will give that ecosystem the boost that it needs to get cleaned up a little bit. And I, I think uh, when, we, when we launch Alchemist, you'll hear a lot more about how, how can we make it, uh, uh, the adaptive ecosystem much better.
0: Maybe if you um, if Intel comes up with some branding, and then you just simply have monitor makers put a logo that says Intel <laughs> Adapt. Maybe Intel Sync compatible.
2: Gordon, then... <laughs> Gordon, it works. Wouldn't that be a great idea? Wouldn't yeah. that be a great idea? I I, I will I will say that uh, there are some real technology issues with Adaptive Sync and and G Sync. I, I hate to say it, but there are and. Um, we can fix a lot of that in the driver and make the experience of adaptive sync monitors. Awesome.
0: Nice. No, and I agree. It it is a mess. Adaptive sync is, is, is still a mess, but yeah.
2: And I don't know if a logo or brand alone would, would make a difference. You know, you don't want to, we would not want to come out and say, uh, Intel sync compatible with a logo. If it sucked. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It would need to be awesome. And, uh, I think that's the, uh, that's the idea.
1: Hmm. cool stuff um uh kind of an in-depth in question from uh mike buzz buzz zone uh Bruzz zone mm-hmm. i'm gonna let's call him mike yeah mike mike <laughs> good old mike friend of the show mike um well multiple multiple questions but i'll, I'll stick with the first one first uh will consumer gpus uh stick with a, a seven nanometer legacy on depreciated cost for mass market volume Versus increased cost, uh, increasingly costly nascent. So five, four, three.
2: Ah, uh, so um, great question. I think at the end of the day, there's always a uh, a business balance between pushing the you know bleeding edge uh, foundry process to get that big die, shrunk down so you can get adequate yield to have a product. And maybe that's going to raise your cost initially. But then as the process process matures, you ride that cost wave down. The whole decision is smart. But my experience has been waiting just a little bit uh, for the volume parts makes the most sense in in economic terms. But these are questions for the for our expert business guys. They have very detailed models about, you know, uh, cost curves and yield and defect densities and sizes of chips and all that stuff and every chip and the process that it goes into is a very complex decision so unfortunately there's no there's no general answer to this question but we will definitely be riding the the technology trends forward in discrete graphics and you'll also see older chips or some other chips that make more sense in older processes whether that's a performance cost thing or maybe it's a capacity thing there's lots of reasons why you'll see a, a collection of technologies over time
1: Nice. Uh we do have a, a laptop question. Uh Rowan. Ooh, do it. Yeah, Rowan is asking uh um I mean obviously if it will come to laptops but uh will in, will Intel still release laptops with AMD or Nvidia GPUs once Arc has taken off?
2: Well, um let's see. I feel like I don't want to answer that question, but I'll give you a little bit of hint to that. In, in, I Intel doesn't really? make in laptops. I,
0: I will answer it. I will answer. Intel doesn't make laptops. Uh, <laughs> that would be up to MSI, ASUS, Dell, HP, et cetera, Lenovo to make the laptops. I would think they sell. They always work in their own business interests. So I'm I'm going to guarantee you there will be Intel and AMD CPUs paired with Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA GPUs going
2: as an excellent
0: answer in the near term although i'm 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 actually i'm looking forward to intel having control of cpus and gpus as well as amd having control of cpus and gpus and how they can make them both work closely to improve our experience but i'm also sort of afraid that that eventually comes to a head with you know everybody always playing nice so we'll see how that that but that is so far so far away I, I don't it is i don't know it's not a problem that we we have in the short term for sure yeah definitely not but he can't answer that but i already answered it <laughs> they you will be able to there will not be no there will not be so
2: <laughs> there will be. good answer <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll answer that don't answer the
2: question no that's when I, excellent all right so i got i've got a little bit of time what what, what do you got left on your list
1: adam
0: any more for the audience because i definitely want to get the audience or brad i don't want to i have to ask plenty of questions
1: uh i did, did hi oh yeah no brad go ahead
3: no you go ahead i've crossed off. i have a big list you can't see it with the zoom background but i crossed <laughs> off most of them
1: nice uh, well, well we, I'd
2: like to be open and you know talk about what's interesting. Yeah, we we, we,
1: we got a a quick one from uh, John Dokic. He Gave us uh, two dollars. Thank you so much. Said, uh, will we see Optane chips on GPUs?
2: Ooh, uh, uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I can say it's an interesting idea, like having a large uh, non-volatile storage on a, on a chip. I don't think it really matters right now for, for most gaming cards, and I don't think the ROI would make sense for a gaming card, but there might be some larger compute-style uh, data-intensive AI thing for it. So I, I would say I don't know, but maybe. Good question.
1: Uh, last last fun question. Uh, Chris Livingston asked uh, a- ask Tom if he gets to hang out with Ryan Shrout. I love their old PC per interviews. I
2: love Ryan. I unfortunately with COVID, I don't get to hang out with anybody. It, with COVID, what I get to do is sit in my 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 room here. Just, just... This is this is this is what I hang out with in covid. But I do love Ryan. You know, he is now he's had another child. He's got a little boy and a little a lovely little girl. And they live in, in Kentucky. And I get to see him about uh, once a month on video. And I've invited him here recently, but he 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 hasn't come. Covid man so
0: i I, I, I want to ask one last question tom because i know you're you got to go I, this has I been do. wonderful thanks for being here but <clears throat> so obviously intel you're going to be coming out with this shiny gpu the entire world is is rooting for intel which is frankly right a different let's let's be honest it's it's great as a warriors fan nobody likes warriors and <laughs> and you're gonna be in this fantastic position. There's gonna be an element that says it's gonna be the accountants. They're gonna say, Let's make some money here. I would encourage Intel. Let's you know what? AMD and Intel have been messing with you for years and years and years. Here's your chance for a little payback. So make it so jensen and lisa like take their paperweight and throw it across room at the bulletin board and i say that because i think intel being as disruptive as possible to amd and nvidia is good for consumers good for gamers so that's my suggestion to push back against the bean counter and say you know what let's book some revenue i like revenue shareholders like revenue i like revenue let's think think long-term revenue we we're building a a brand here
2: one thing I would, I would uh, so Gordon, thank you for that. And I, I think all of us at Intel appreciate that, uh, you know, we're doing something hard and, and we're coming from a, a place of humility where we just want to get good work done and we're not going to be like, you know, uh, uh, overhyping what we're doing. It's going to take a long time and there's a lot of work here. It's complex stuff. But I'm excited with the progress that we've made. And we have the support from our board and from our executive leadership. And I feel like, you know, we're, we're on a really great path. But we're going to need help. We're going to need help when we get out. So Gordon, looking for it. Brad, looking for it. Um, as we get closer and we start having, hey, here's what it. Here's our little baby. Here's our baby. You know, that's when it's really going to get real, and I'm I'm excited about it.
0: I, I think everybody is too. So you know, I mean, mm-hmm. clearly the excitement is is there. So yeah, just <laughs> got to see some parts cool i'm with you
1: let's uh let's take out, Gordon.
0: okay thank you for being here uh check back next week for your fix of pc talk on the full nerd for audio listeners subscribe to us on itunes google play spotify and stitcher and please leave a a comment or review every time you do uh intel messes with amd and nvidia (laughs) graphics (laughs) to the betterment of gamers send questions and comments to the full nerd at pcworld.com thanks for coming i'm gordon ung with brad charkas adios Tom Peterson of Intel. Thanks, guys. It's been great to talk to you. And Adam, Adam Patrick, Patrick Murray's going to hit the off switch.
1: Uh, Nori, Thanks, SS, Nori SS wants to know, uh, are we getting Zachary's pizza after the stream? If so, who's buying? I had some on so, Friday. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's get out of here. Bye, everybody. See you guys. Oops. Wrong button.
2: Thanks, Gordon. <laughs>